vegan and plant-based business owners and entrepreneurs were often adapting to a new reality. This new podcast series from Vegan Mainstream is an opportunity to help you when it's time to pivot. These interviews will come from inside and outside of our community, and I hope as your host, Stephanie Redcross West, I can inspire you and give you the tools that you need to move forward. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome to our next interview. I get excited when we talk about various topics, you know, Marketing is near and dear to my heart. Running a business is near and dear to my heart. But there are other industries that we need to, as vegans, take over. And there are other industries that we really need to be thinking about as we spread really not only the vegan awareness, but also as we spread our ethics and as we get people to think about the world differently, especially as we're trying to drive change. So today we're going to talk about investing. We're going to talk about the landscape, what's happening, and also how our guest Sloan is making change. Now Sloan is really helping people take ownership of their investment, whether they're an individual or a company, or maybe just trying to understand how we can all make sure that the money that we have and the money that we invest go into companies, go into businesses, organizations, funds that align with our ethics, align with what's important to us. I think many of us invest sometimes out of habit. Some of us invest out of, you know, that's what we're supposed to do. We just stash this money away here and worry about it one day when we retire. And I think today we maybe want to have a discussion to think about investment a little bit differently. Think about it maybe proactively and also think about it with our vegan lenses on to make sure that the decisions that you're making are truly in line with things that are important to you. So let me introduce again and say hello to our guest Sloan. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us today. It is an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. So let's dive in. I want to make sure people have the landscape. They understand what you do and also what you bring to the table when we talk about investment, because investment is such a wide field that I just want to make sure we talk about the piece of the world that you're kind of your playground and the change that you're hoping to make. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the so, you know, what I do, the Invest Vegan is a registered investment advisor. We're based in New York, but we can uh, serve folks anywhere in the United States. And I build portfolios of companies that align with vegan values, right? And I don't just sort of go out and buy the protein companies that we all know, like Beyond Meat and Impossible. I mean, like I was talking to somebody recently who was like, what a lot of vegans do for investing is they buy like, you know, Beyond Meat and weed stocks and just pray. <laughs> What I do is I sort of start uh, with the full universe of U.S. companies, and I actually look at every one. And, you know, some things are vegan in the way that Oreos are vegan, right? Where, like, somebody made a pragmatic choice at, you know, whatever, an industrial company to not do cruelty, right? (laughs) To, you know, not do cruelty to other things. Mm -hmm. And those companies often don't really get thought about as investment opportunities for folks. Like, they, they sort of get you know, lost in the in the chaff, like, and I'm talking companies that make IUDs and contact lenses and, and and cell phone towers, and you know, really innovative companies that are, you know, out here helping us engineer ways around cruelty, right? New kinds of processes. So that's what I do. I, you know, an invest vegan account is a portfolio of stocks that I pick, 
And, uh, you know, those get picked on an ongoing basis with, you know, we have a sort of institutional grade process that I administer and, and run. I came to the industry arguably when I was like two. Both of my parents are professional investors. My, <laughs> my mom was a, a, a bond sales trader. My dad was an investment banker. Um, and uh, I was always fascinated with, you know, the company as an, as an organic entity, right? Okay. Like, you know, the, there's these incredibly complex organizations that are doing such cool things. And, you know, we can, in a way, find, we can find ones to support. We can find ones not to support. Mm-hmm. I got my first job um, as an investment advisor when I was 19 years old, it happened to be 2007. Uh, so I uh, was uh, great timing, uh, June 2007, you know, so I was really on the front lines of that, that mm-hmm. big bankruptcy of trust, let's say, in yes. the industry where it sort of came to the fore that there had been all of these structural deceits. I love you know, you people, that. <laughs> yeah, people had been like lied to about the, what the risks were of, of, you know, this, that, and the other thing. They they had sort of been deluded into trusting people who didn't really deserve it. And, you know, I, in that experience, really saw up close and personal how the industry treated people like interchangeable, like kind of cogs, right? <laughs> and didn't really, you know, take the time to listen to them very well. So I came out of that experience really changed forever, right? Like I, you know, to have talked to a grandmother who thinks that, you know, an investment that she makes is going to pay for her grandkids college and, you know, only to find out that it's like, you know, wrapped up in some, you know, toxic mortgage derivative or something like that, you know? And so I wound up going to CFA Institute, which is a, you know, the largest global association of professional investors in the world. It's in more countries than McDonald's. So like literally like 180 or something like that. And what they do is produce a graduate level degree for professional investors. And I joined a team that was focused on kind of highlighting, you know, emerging stuff of relevance to investors. So, you know, this was at a time when sustainable investing was kind of a niche thing. Now I'm sure we've all seen a billboard about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, back then it was kind of this weird idea that a couple of people in Vermont had or whatever, <laughs> you know, so... I got to really have, you know, this really interesting role where I was, you know, without the need to instantly commercialize my research, I was able to really engage with the underlying realities of sustainable investing, what we're able to do as investors, and really like what it looks like to come up with investment ideas. I actually wound up writing uh, a textbook about investment idea generation with my my colleague there, Jason Apolovas, who's uh, a very successful mutual fund manager. That textbook basically is a way of structurally arraying your values and using them as a lens through which you can see opportunity, right? Because, you know, underneath the, you know, the kind of high level statement that I seek to be a good person and do good things in the world, there are many, many, you know, nuanced statements, right? Like, this is what I think is good. You know, I think it's important that people not take advantage of individuals who are, you know, refugees or in positions of, you know, structural deprivation. I think it's important that, you know, women who have sexual assault claims at their workplaces have the ability to, you know, get their day in court and are not forced to sit in arbitration. You know, so I was really experienced in the process of translating those high level values into specifics and then using those specifics as a lens to see the investment world. That really like was such a nice thing to have done <laughs> when it came time to set up this firm because it really allowed me to, you know, look through the thousands of US stocks with 
vegan values really is the center motivator, you know, mm-hmm. say, you know, first, you know, this is okay, this is not okay. And then define a new universe that that looks, I think, substantially different from what most people at most firms would would see as the investment landscape. I, I think that it's, you know, it's an axiom in investment management that if you want to perform notably, you have to do stuff very, very differently. Uh, I was going to do this anyway, even if there were no performance implications, because once you get to the point where you understand that it's murder to operate a slaughterhouse, <laughs> you know, and murder at scale, yeah, you don't really care what the returns on the slaughterhouse are. <laughs> like I, I built this because I wanted folks uh, like me who don't necessarily have a bazillion dollars to be able to, you know, de-slaughterhouse their investment portfolios. And I think that's the challenge is for many of us, we don't want to be a part of that world. We have actively made that decision in our lives and, you know, the meals, the where we shop. But what happens is it gets harder in the investment landscape for many of us because we either don't know where to start. We don't know even in some cases, you know, when we're investing, we're kind of investing blindly because we're just investing in a fund. And then often we're just, you know, I remember when I was in my corporate days and they would say, you know, pick a fund. You just kind of felt like mm, that name looked nice. <laughs> and the idea is you really didn't have the information you needed to be able to make these decisions. You didn't have the information you needed to be able to even say, yes, I want to make a change, but what do I change to? And how do I make sure I don't just swap out to the same thing I was in before? Because even to your point about sustainability, sometimes that can get a little bit blurry. Sometimes that can get a little bit challenging. So I don't know if you have any recommendations or advice for individuals that are trying to figure out how to kind of get back in the driver's seat (laughs) when they're thinking about their investments. And even like you said, when we don't have a gazillion dollars to invest, but it's still important because this is our future. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like I, I, when I was setting up this firm, like pretty much everyone I talked to, like all of the crusty investment guys that I know were like, well, what you're starting is a hedge fund, right? And I was like, no, 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 no. I want literally, I, we have no investment minimum for a reason so that folks can like, you know, they don't, don't have to be flagillionaires in order to access our, our thing. Mm-hmm. I am partial to my own portfolio that I run, um, you know, so <laughs> I, and, you know, I would suggest folks hit me up um, if they're looking for a, a way to do it. We're on investvegan.org. But, um, you know, there are a lot of good sources out there. I mean, like a big part of our research process is stitching together work that, you know, nonprofits and activist groups have done to highlight, you know, I mean, we don't we don't invest in fossil fuels at all, pretty much, um, unless there's a really compelling, you know, broader sustainability story. but you know, a mining or, you know, some kind of company is, you know, abusing indigenous land or something like that. It takes a lot of work to stitch those databases together. And um, I hope that before too long, people will be able to go to investvegan.org again, like sort of input their portfolio and see what we've excluded from our investment universe and why. Mm, That's interesting. Yeah, because I mean, because we actually have line item attribution on like we have, you know, I guess 3,500 companies on the naughty list. And, um, you know, we like we know why they're there, right? Some of them are there because, you know, they've been routinely work ranked like the worst place to work in America. And some of them are there because they, you know, do animal testing or really relying on furs and hides and leathers. Mm-hmm. We, we had to create a lot of the databases that we're using. There's not really a plug and play solution. You know, I think that 
when it comes to thinking about the full scope of the ethics that are implied by avoiding preventable harm to living things, that's really an, uh, an evolving frontier, right? Like, you know, there, there was a company in our portfolio that I sold after, you know, I failed to get any traction with them because, you know, the company Exelon is a large nuclear energy company. So, you know, you would think that would be great and they would be really progressive and thoughtful. But it turned out that they were one of the largest sponsors of the politicians who put Texas's retrograde abortion law on the books. Mm. And, you know, I emailed the three women who run their investor relations team. And I said, hey, this is unacceptable. I need at least at the very minimum a statement from the CEO saying this is bad or I'm selling the shares. Mm-hmm. And that's not the kind of thing that is very easy to kiss, keep on top of if it's not your fault. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and it's also not the kind of thing that's very easy to stay on top of if you own 700 companies, which, um, you know, a lot of investment vehicles are set up to do. I think that, you know, implementing those principles is, is, is really a full-time job. But the good news is, I, you know, I think that there will be more folks like me who are implementing their own version of them, you know, before too long, because, I, you know, it's just this firm is not incredibly complex to, to set up or incredibly costly to set up, mm-hmm. you know, and um, I'm confident in saying that we'll be here 10 years in the future because the economics are, are, are solid and, and, you know, and it's personally meaningful to me. Yeah. I think that solutions are proliferating and hopefully before too long, we'll be able to issue an ETF and, and people will be able to buy it in their own brokerage accounts. For, for now, people have to open accounts with our custodial partner, uh, Altruist, in order to access our, our portfolio. But yeah, I mean, like, I, I think the, my big piece of advice is to expect better, mm-hmm. you know, and not to kind of like have this dull, painful, you know, dissonant thought in your heart that like probably somewhere in your investment portfolio, someone is doing something that's deeply objectionable, right? Uh, you know, I, I think that that thought is what keeps good people from investing. And, you know, I admire me, I'm a queer trans person, you know, in Brooklyn and, I, I do stand up and, you know, I know a lot of basically starving artists who <laughs> don't invest at all, don't save at all, and are often, you know, doing that not because, you know, they lack the discipline or anything like that to invest, but it's rather because they don't have well-rooted ability to trust in, you know, mm-hmm. the investment solutions that they have access to. So, you know, I mean, I, I hope that I can be part of getting people to have higher expectations. <laughs> I think that's key because I love what you said about looking at companies and what they're supporting. Because often we may look at the history of a business or look at what a business is and we say, okay, they may be okay to invest in. But as the news changes, as laws change, as a lot of things are being politicized here in the U.S. and really even it's happening across the world, it's so important to make sure we're able to make those adjustments so that we can continue that trust. You know, the idea that we should be able to say, yes, maybe that company from on paper look like it aligned. But when we look at their current activities, when we look at what they're doing in today's environment, it's different. It's not something we would sign on to. And I think for a lot of people, that's not always how we think of investing. We think of it from the standpoint of like, well, we pick a company and next 10 years or 20 years, we hope it turns out okay. You know, I hope I pick Apple <laughs> as an example. Yeah. You know, you know, you know, twenty years ago, kind of, kind of thing. So it's interesting to have that perspective and to start to 
think of investment as something that does change, something that's dynamic and something that reflects the current times. Absolutely. I mean, and because, you know, I think that like one of the traps that people fall into is they buy companies that have products that they like, but they don't really think about the underlying business dynamics or where they are in the product cycle. And like you don't get extra points for buying companies that have certain characteristics just because that you have them. You have to actually produce returns. And there are characteristics that that indicate that, right, that are externally Mm -hmm. discernible and that in a structured process you can you can check for so, you know, I think that it's like, I, I don't really operate the kind of business where I'm trading in and out of stuff all the time. I mean, like I, I'm, there's an investment firm. I kind of have modeled my own firm after uh, called Tweety Brown, which is where Warren Buffett recommended folks invest after he shut down his own partnership in like the fifties and people who, who would uh, kind of go visit them, you know, would say that like, you know, most brokerage firms, you can tell if the market is like up or down by walking around the office. Oh, wow. And at Tweety Brown, you can't even tell if the market is open, you know, because like, because <laughs> I think that if if you give into the vicissitudes and the volatility and the randomness of the markets and allow it to define your analytical process, that's a trap. But at the same time, like you can't expect things to hold constant. No, nothing ever does. And like the the thing that I would say about eliminating stuff based on principles is that like maybe maybe twice out of three literally 3000 companies that i've i've weeded out for this reason mm-hmm. have i been like darn i really would have liked to invest in that company mm-hmm. uh you know it's it's like yeah. it's never a compelling opportunity <laughs> uh you know it, it, it's always like exelon was like you know they they're great they're the the country's biggest clean energy source or whatever but you know they, i had questions about them and they were a small position in the portfolio as a result and i was sad to sell them. I was sad to sell them for the reason that I sold them. But I think the portfolio is better off without them, especially as their values became clear. Yeah. So I think that like when it comes to the, you know, the broader theme, which is an idea generation using vegan principles, like I, I think like the media, the, you know, the, like the kind of mainstream discussion about making a principles based or making an ethics first, which is how, how I think of my own process decision is very quick to sort of imply that you're giving up a lot of stuff. Yeah. And I, I see it much more as like saving a lot of agita, <laughs> you know, because like if you're trying to be, you know, relatively chill in the way that you think about the future, you need to have that baseline level of trust. And if you can go, okay, I mean, I have a two and a half page single space list of things that companies are not allowed to do in order to be in our portfolio, uh, you know, and I'm constantly adding to it. Yeah. And like, if you can go, okay, well, at least none of these things are happening. Like, you know, none of my investments are like profiting from the exploitation of personal data through surveillance capitalism. Like that really helps you rest easy and helps you do the thing that you need to do as an investor, which is stay invested. Yeah, I really like that. And I, I like the idea that it's almost back to what you said earlier about that creativity, you know, being able to kind of look through the lens and look at these businesses a little bit differently. And also, I think it goes to some of our principles as vegans. I think sometimes the myth of being a vegan is that you have to give up this and you can't do this and this doesn't happen. So then it's almost like that myth can spread into other things like, well, that means you can't invest in this and you can't invest in that. 
But I think people forget that there's so many new companies that are started. There are a lot of thriving businesses that are just maybe not names that kind of fall off our tongue, but there are sustainable businesses, strong businesses, good businesses out there that if someone's willing to do the work, which, you know, clearly you're doing for us, they can be found and there can be gems. There can be opportunities that we may be able to uncover if we stop looking at the traditional stocks that are problematic and we struggle with and we feel frustrated about, we kind of push those to the side and maybe look at things a little differently. And maybe even through your creative lens, we might see businesses that delight us. You know, it might be, you know, a plethora of opportunity. You know, we might see it more as a place where there's more choice than we ever realized because we're now looking at it differently. That's exactly like you basically hit on like my biggest ambition for this firm, which is to help people imagine themselves as part of something much bigger than they currently see. Because like, I think that, it, you know, in that the you know hypothetical vegan I alluded to earlier, who's like, you know, buying stock and beyond meat and kind of like praying might think that there's one or two businesses out there that align with their values. When in reality, there are thousands, <laughs> uh, you know, and it like the fact that like the middle-aged folks and, you know, in management who are, you know, trying to conform to investor expectations and not really trying to be activists, like haven't gone out and labeled the business as vegan, you know, doesn't mean that building affordable housing is any less important. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I think that there is a, um, a real back of my mind, front of my mind, center of my heart you know, kind of thing here where um, I like, I hope people can, you know, look at the companies in their portfolio and go, huh, I never thought about that. You know, like I, I never, it's like, it never even occurred to me to think about cell phone towers as a vegan business opportunity. Uh, <laughs> like, um, you know, when, you know, here are these things that are doing such amazing work, bringing connectivity to people, creating economic opportunity in rural spaces, all sorts of great stuff, you know, just because it doesn't have anything to do with the protein trade. Uh. Yes. Yeah, because that's the thing. Even as vegans, sometimes we can fall into our own a little bit traps of thinking, you know, protein, of thinking even the food track as our only option. So I'm so glad you you said that. And one thing I guess I want to throw out is I know for some people when they hear the word investment, it kind of makes them hesitate. They get a little nervous because they're like, ah, you know, I'm, I'm trying to pay my bills here. I yep. don't really think that I have that money sitting to just invest. So I wanted to mention your podcast because I'm also thinking that sometimes the opportunity for some of us when we're thinking about investment is it isn't necessarily let me go grab my checkbook so I can write a check. It's preparing ourselves for that future, for those thoughts. It's preparing ourselves and sometimes shifting our mind around how we should be investing, when we should be investing, where do we start, even if it's small. And I'm wondering, maybe just let everyone know about your podcast, but I'm also curious if your podcast helps people through that process, because I often feel like, you know, the things we don't know, we sometimes shy away from, as opposed to, especially as vegans, we really should be getting educated so we can get more comfortable. So when it's time to write that check, 
we can confidently do it. Yeah, I mean, so my podcast, thanks for mentioning it, is uh, Free Money with Sloan and Ashby. Obviously, I'm Sloan. Um, Ashby is my friend who uh, happens to be a professor of investments at Stanford, actually engineering school, which is really cool. So um, in his day job, he helps like really innovative companies that are coming out of Stanford, you know, kind of match themselves with innovative sources of capital. I think that like one thing I would also highlight in that investment journey is it's not necessarily about what you do with your own personal resources. It's also about the resources that you can acquaint yourself with as an entrepreneur. Yeah. Like, I think, you know, we, we have had some folks uh, on free money who are helping people build savings capability. And, you know, Ashby did a lot of like dissertation work on that. Hmm. But in, in particular, I guess there's a startup of his I should plug called uh, Long Game, which is uh, basically it's designed to replace the lottery for people who are, you know, regular players of the lottery and having their savings behavior effectively destroyed by that. You know, they can instead play Long Game, which has lots of great lottery type games and it actually gives you cash prizes of very similar to the lottery, but it's a savings account yeah. that's FDIC insured. Uh, you that's know, interesting. I haven't heard of that before. Yeah. yeah. So, so, I mean, like, I, I think that, you know, that's sort of emblematic of a type of thing that we talk about on free money a lot, where it's a, uh, it's a company that's sort of engineering a new way around an old boundary, mm. you know? And like, I, I think that we, we reach like a, a pretty crunchy mix of like, you know, chief investment officer. I mean, like we've had the, you know, chief investment officers and CEOs of like some of the largest pension funds in the world on there. But, you know, we also reach like a pretty solid audience of Zoomers, uh, you know, and, uh, and so like one thing that we try to do is make like these incredibly like arcane high level topics that people are engaging with in this sort of rarefied world of institutional investing, like a lot more accessible and less shrouded in, you know, kind of pretentious mystery. And, uh, you know, I, I wish that we had more resources available actually to help people with that building capability thing. It's a real, I, you know, I spent a long time at CFA Institute involved in our investor education efforts, um, which mm-hmm. had us partnering with stock exchanges around the world and, and, you know, regulatory authorities and stuff like that to help people build, you know, those savings practices. And it is the purest form of a hard problem because there, it like money intersects with literally every social issue that you can possibly imagine. And the most important message that I have relevant to that is there's a lot of morality that gets wrapped up in the messaging about money, like saving good, debt bad, you know, uh, and the industry really needs to get over itself with regard to that because the, you know, we just have this incredibly toxic tendency. I mean, you'll see articles like how I paid off my you know, or or how I managed to buy my own house at 32 by living with my parents, you know, oh, yeah, I just got a small $500,000 loan for my parents. And then I bought my own house. Isn't that amazing? Shouldn't I be celebrated? I think that what we need to do as an industry is is get much better at at listening to people as they are and like helping them no matter, you know, how much money they have, find faith in, you know, at least an ability to, you know, save that money, have that money later. Yeah. Yeah. And I also, I talk a lot about this for entrepreneurs because I think some of us have sometimes a little toxic relationships with money. Like we, I have no idea you what know, you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> you know, something happened or someone, something did this or that. And because of that, we kind of carry that baggage with us. We are afraid to do certain things. We don't trust 
It makes it very difficult for us to even manage, you know, money in, you know, relationships, you know, whether it's with partners or whether it's with, you know, family members, you know what I mean? It just starts to kind of ooze into all our financial decisions. And therefore we either can pull ourselves away from it or turn it into the evil thing. And yeah. turn it into the thing that's like, oh, it's the problem. And, you know, the reality is that, you know, money is just a thing. <laughs> it's really exactly how we use it, what we do with it. All those things is what creates those issues. So I think sometimes it's also healing. It's us kind of as individuals, you know, saying, yeah, we had some challenges. Maybe something happened. But how do we want to manage our money moving forward? How do we want to have that understanding? What kind of relationship do we want to have with our investment, our retirement? What do we want our savings accounts to look like? How do we feel about good and bad debt? Or what do we consider it for ourselves, not just on the headlines, like you were saying? And I think the more and more people who start getting comfortable with the discussions about money, I think our futures, all of our futures can be better. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's this great John Steinbeck quote that Americans are all temporarily embarrassed millionaires. <laughs> and uh, like, I, I think that that, you know, really gets to, I mean, like my own family was, you know, like my, uh, my dad was probably the only Harvard Business School graduate who couldn't get a bank account for a while because, you know, we went like profoundly broke when I, that's why I got a job at 19. <laughs> I'd love it. I'd love it to be entrepreneurship, but it was, I needed money. Um <laughs> Uh, but, uh, but yeah, like, I, you know, I, I think that, you know, there's so much shame wrapped up in, in money and so much like valid, like, in, you know, on the, in the entrepreneurial community, it's like, oh, I just got this funding round from this person. And aren't I so handsome and, and, and smart, you know, versus on the flip, like, ah, well, there's a glorification of kind of self-deprivation and a lack of self-care that comes in, in that community, whether it's like the stereotype of sitting around and eating ramen until, Mm-hmm. You know, somebody, the, the invisible hand of the free market recognizes you as a person of value. Um, yes. You know, Absolutely. and yeah, I think healing is the right word for it. That's very wise. It's very wise to frame it that way. Absolutely. I definitely think there's there's so much opportunity for all of us. And sometimes it's about taking that first step. So I'm hoping some of our listeners today take a step and maybe check out your podcast, subscribe. And start to open up their minds or think about things a little bit differently. I'm hoping today's session was inspirational for some people out there. Or maybe got them thinking a little bit differently about investment and also thinking about it through, you know, our kind of vegan context and how we can do things differently, how we can be creative and how there's a land of opportunity out there. So I'm really hoping that was a big takeaway for our audience. As we're wrapping up today, is there any other takeaways, inspirations, or words of advice that you'd like to share with people? Yeah, you know, I mean, one of the things that I I think I've learned, you know, over the, the course of setting this up is like, you know, I had been kind of like, I guess in a way waiting for the industry to evolve to a point where it would have a place yeah. for me to do this. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of, you know, there are a bunch of like Sloan sized holes and walls in various places where I've been trying to like run through the wall and get this thing to happen. Finally, I just sort of decided that I could make my own space. And I would really encourage people to, you know, give themselves the benefit of the doubt and see, see if you, you know, are straining against a stricture of some sort, whether, you know, you're in, you know, an industry that perhaps is not the most innovative, like finance, uh, you know, or you're, uh, you, you know, just kind of trying to figure out what to do with yourself. It's important to, you know, have that baseline self-belief and ability to go, I will make my own spot. 
And I, I think that if there's anything that's helped me do this, it's that. So I, I hope that if anyone hears anything, it's that, you know, that exercise of, you know, just kind of creating your own place in an industry that you would like to be a part of. Uh, you know, I, I, I hope, I hope, I hope more people do that because I know there are a lot of good people out there, you know, like me, who might've been waiting on the sidelines. That is wonderful to say, because sometimes, yeah, we, we hope and we wish, and we're looking for those opportunities. And sometimes, you know, there's a chance and there's a space for us to maybe, like you said, fill in that gap and, and jump in. So I'm so glad that you did. I'm so glad that we had a chance to chit chat today. Let's give everyone really quick before we wrap up your website, social media handles, all the ways that they can get in touch with you. Oh, yeah. Well, it's investvegan.org is the firm. And, uh, you know, it's a pretty simple, like if anyone wants to open a conversation, they can schedule an appointment with me right on there or, or even just fill out the intake forms to get started with opening an account. And we're at invest vegan on Instagram because I'm very creative uh, and Twitter as well. Um, and I'm at Sloan Ortel on everything, including Instagram and Twitter and all those things. And I would be delighted to have some new vegan friends hang out with me on the socials. All right. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank Spending you a little for bit having me. It's been a delight. Yeah, this was wonderful. I really, really appreciate it. Um, and I also appreciate everyone out there who did join us live. Anyone has any questions, if you have questions afterwards or later on, feel free. Just post them in the comments. We'll come check them out. But we also appreciate you folks out there that might be listening as a podcast as well. It's so great to be in your ears for a few minutes. And I think this is such an amazing topic for all of us to be thinking about, considering, and really starting to understand that there's opportunity out there for us as vegans. And there's also space. We may have to elbow our way through at times, but space for us as vegans to show up in every industry. And I'm really glad that we talked about it specifically for investment today. So thank you, everyone. Thank you, Salone, again. Thank you. And we're going to wrap up today's podcast. And I hope to see everyone on the next one. Goodbye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Pivot, our vegan business interview podcast. This is recorded as a live streaming session. So I hope you'll join us for future interviews as well. We offer these interviews to help vegan entrepreneurs stay connected with the vegan business community. If you're interested in more in-depth insights or training, please consider subscribing to one of our premium podcasts, Going Solo or Fix It. Visit veganmainstream.com to learn more or click on the links in the show notes.